Hello there, and welcome once again to No Name NYC Podcast. My name is Eric Fetter. I am the founder and host and producer of No Name Comedy Variety Shows, New York City's longest running comedy variety show. Blah, blah, blah. Get on with it, Vetter. I'm here to welcome you guys. Thank you for choosing to spend some time with us. If you've listened to our previous episodes, you know that our focus is to meet with people who've done our shows and talk about the experience of being an artist in New York City. And today's guest is actually not somebody who's been so much a guest on our shows. I was thinking about it today. This guy has probably done the second most number of no-name shows second to me. Our music director, Carl Fortunato, our keyboardist and ostensible, reprehensible, and indefensible music director, Carl Fortunato. For those of you who may be newer to No Name or maybe you just, you know, don't know a lot about where we come from, you know, we've been doing shows for 28 years, but we've only had a house band since 2009. Our current band, the one that everybody knows, the Summer Replacements, is technically our second ever house band. When we started doing shows at Otto Shrunken Head in January of 2009, if I'm recalling correctly. We didn't have a house band. It was a new venue for us, and we were just feeling our way through. But we found ourselves performing in a room that had a house drum kit and amps and everything you needed to roll a band in. And a buddy of mine came to our first or second show there, uh, Mark Jones, an amazing, amazing bass player. And after the show, he pulled me aside and said, uh, we want to be your house band. I said, dude, you you realize this is a free show, right? No cover charge, there's no minimum, there's no money. And I owe two months back rent. There's no money. He said, don't worry about it. We want to be your house band. Don't worry, if you make money, we'll make money. But we want to be your house band. Okay. And I didn't know who we was. Apparently, he was talking about a band that he was working with at that time. It featured himself and like three other guys. But most weeks, they became our house band. And most weeks... It was just Mark Jones on bass and this other amazing musician, Harold Smith, on keyboards. Now, what I found out as time went on is that not only were they amazing musicians, but Harold had played with, like, everybody. And I found out that he actually, bass was his first instrument. But whenever he played with Mark, he slid over the keyboards, which is a testament to how badass a player Mark is. And what I discovered about Harold is he played with everybody. And he toured with Sam and Dave, just for a little insight there. And what we learned about Harold is the best thing to do with him is after the show, put a beer in front of him, you sit down, you just listen. The man liked to talk, and he had stories that were worth listening to. Now, they were our house band, occasionally augmented by a couple of other players and a drummer that they did not get along with. And then our friend Alex D'Souza started sitting in the last few shows that they did, And what happened is Mark was getting ready to go on a tour of Japan and other places for the bulk of that summer. I guess that would have been the summer of 2010, I think. And Harold had some medical issues and he was going to have a couple of surgeries. And uh, their intent was to come back, but they were going to be gone for an extended period of time for at least a few months. And so what happened is... I called in my friend Carl Fortunato, who I knew from acting and other things. Uh, I knew he was a good keyboardist. So we put him together with Alex D'Souza on drums, and we named the two-person band The Summer Replacements. And 
in an echo of things that have happened with us in the history of our show, the original house band never came back. They actually came back on a number of occasions as guests and, you know, sat in with us and whatever, but never really got that band back together as, as a no-name thing. But meanwhile, the summer replacements grew. Our dear late friend Fernando Morales-Gonzalez joined in on bass. Seth Sugarfingers Foster joined us on guitar. And if you've followed us for any length of time, you know the summer replacements have swelled at times to as many as 15 or 16 pieces with like a five-piece horn section and backing singers. And they've also been as few as just Alex on drums and nobody else. So you never know. But nevertheless, that's a little bit of history and Carl had basically been there since the start of the summer replacements, and we thought it would just be fun to speak with him. And that's what we did on this episode. All right, we're going to get to that interview with Carl Baby Freak Fortunato in just a minute. But first, we got to have a word from our sponsor. So here's a word from our sponsor. Get away to Green Bay. Yes, that's right. The historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast in beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin. Where your innkeepers, Tom and Linda Steber, will greet you and make you feel at home in any of their five luxury accommodations, all of which have their own bath, and some of which even have a jacuzzi. Now, bed and breakfast. This is the bed and breakfast. You ever go to a bed and breakfast and think, I'd rather not have the breakfast? Or maybe you wake up and there was almost no breakfast and it's all gone by the time you got there. Or you do get there and there's like a couple of strips of bacon, maybe one or two turkey sausages, a box of half-eaten cereal, and some questionable fruit. That will never happen to you at the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast, where nothing is more majestic than the fresh, homemade, yummy, scrumptious... Their breakfasts are amazing and are worth the trip alone. And after breakfast, if you want to know what's going on in Green Bay, what's fun to do, what restaurants do you need to check out, well, ask Tom and Linda. They know everything. They are totally connected there, and they will see to it that you have a blast every second you are up there. So, what do you want to do? You want to make some reservations? You got some questions? Check them out online. Go to www.astorhouse.com. That is Astorhouse, A-S-T-O-R-H-O-U-S-E.com. Escape to Green Bay today. Were you initially born in New York? I was born in the Bronx. That's what I thought. <laughs> I was born in Williamsbridge or Olinville, White Plains and Gun Hill Road. Where the Italians roam free. (laughs) At least they did. (laughs) Yeah, we lived there till I was four. Then we moved to Yonkers, but Mm -hmm. my family had an office in that same neighborhood in the Bronx. Uh, My grandfather was a lawyer, and his law office, they did taxes, they did real estate, they did home insurance, and my grandmother and my mother both worked in the office. So Mm -hmm. I would be there like every day I wasn't in school because my mother had to do something with me, so she'd take me to work. So I was hanging around an office and playing with typewriters, which is a very normal thing for a five-year-old to be doing. <laughs> yeah, so, well, yeah, running around the Bronx at five years old. Uh, you, you weren't responsible for any of that Fort Apache stuff, were you? I probably was, actually. Oh, okay. At least yeah. some of the kids I hung around with. Really, uh, one kid, I was six years old, I hung around with him. He called me Carlos. I don't know why that's not my name. 
he basically taught me to steal raw string beans from grocery carts. <laughs> that's normally the starting point in a life of crime. But he I guess thought they were the most delicious thing in the whole wide world. And the only way to obtain them on your budget was, was to steal them. Exactly. Okay. So, so you're growing up in Yonkers. What was that like? Did you like it? It was very nice. It was a working class suburban neighborhood. Not rich, but subdivision, one house from a dead end uh, near this place called Western Electric then, which was a 13-acre field, and the sign said no trespassing, but they did not care, and we just played every day in this field. It was a nice place to grow up. It really was. There was a reservoir nearby that had some fish in it, and we would cross the highway and go to the reservoir and hang around there. At what point did performing uh, come into your life? I don't know if you know this, I think I was 12 years old, and I used to hang around this bookshop in Yonkers that was run by hippies. And somebody else there, a student at Sarah Lawrence College, was making a student film, and she needed somebody to play Richard Nixon as a boy. And that was me. She didn't <laughs> like Nixon, but I'm half the movie, because it's about what made him so He's screwed up. Right at- it's a psychological study about this horrible human being. It opens up with me trying to stuff cotton in a baby's mouth because he's crying. <laughs> How well researched was this film? Oh, well, it's total fiction, but it's great. I mean, my father played Eisenhower. You know, it's kind of supposed to be significant somehow. I really enjoyed doing that. It's the name of it's an American tragedy. I'd love to get a hold of this film. <laughs> I showed up, I have my, a, a white college shirt, because I'm supposed to be, and I said, oh my God, my pen backed up in my pocket. I had a big ink stain on the pocket. And I remember the director going, oh God, that's perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. But while I did a few things here and there, I really started performing a little before I met you. My ex-wife was running a, a sketch comedy troupe, and she wanted me in it. So that's really when I really started doing stuff. You're a wonderful musician. When did music first Oh, yeah. No, I was doing music. Yeah. I mean, when I was a teenager, I moved into a house that had a piano in it. I was uh, 16 or something, and my mother gave the guy money to leave this really nice piano in the house because she always wanted one, even though nobody played it. So I just sat at it, and I figured out how to play it. No formal training? I'd been in bands before I took any lessons, but I did take classical lessons but that was after I already knew how to play. And when you started to play in bands? With well, that, just, maybe around 18 years old, 19 the, years old. Just fun with your friends or uh, any, any further sight? We had ambition, but they didn't go. It might as well have just been fun with my friends for all of the success we had. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we did all kinds of stuff. We played in little places. Uh, we actually opened up a church once. Somebody we knew fancied himself a pastor and started a storefront church. <laughs> he had a rock band for his initial service. A rock band <laughs> for your storefront church. Yes. So. <laughs> and did you share any of the beliefs of this guy's faith? Uh, halfway. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get down to the specifics of that. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> So you personally, did you have any aspirations? I don't know, honest to God. I mean, I, I always played, anybody wants me to play, I'll play. I got a lot of compliments. And I thought, maybe I can do something with this. And, you know, because I got so many compliments when I took lessons, my teacher, who was a really serious major classical musician, and he complimented me to the skies. 
while reminding me that I was elementary level. What I played, I played well, but I couldn't play these incredibly complicated things. You know, but I remember I said to myself, you know, I, everybody says I'm so good. I kind of think maybe, you know, I, I might even be good enough to be an actual professional classical musician if I just started earlier and started as a little kid. And I remember him saying, you do not want this. <laughs> It is interesting, but it is not pleasant life. So, <laughs> and how long did you work with this guy? Oh, about three or four years. I had three major teachers: Sigi Stoderman, Gregory Hyalovsky, and Marina Grin, all Russian Jewish people who basically got out of Russia because Jewish musicians had a hard time in Russia at this time. A lady violinist named Aviva Dom, who was Jewish and got out of Russia. Basically, she hired everybody she knew when they got out of Russia to work in this really little school in Yonkers. It was an amazing staff. I mean, Gregory wound up running the music department at NYU. You know, Arkady Aronov is over at Manhattan School of Music. There's a, an award named after Marina and some other thing. I mean, these people really... And you worked with these people. I, they, yeah. In this YWHA, it was great. And the bands were talking a lot of bar band type. No, we, we actually, me and a friend of mine used to write some music. So mm -hmm. we did some of the stuff we did. And we also did covers. But the problem with doing covers, especially if you're young, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to run a band. I mean, we were in the basement at one point, my basement in the house. And I remember my mother, she thought we sounded good. But she also said, if I hear Run Around Sue one more time, I'm going to scream. <laughs> Where was mom musically? Oh, mom, 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 of course, liked older music. Mm -hmm. She was a Bobby Soxer when she was younger. She was a Sinatra lunatic. My father hated all modern music. My mother perfectly appreciated the Beatles and people like that. It was just... <laughs> my brother used to say about my father, <clears throat> he says he likes classical music because that gives him the right to hate everything else. So... <laughs> And what about you? Did you classical? Oh, I always loved classical. We did have it in the house. I still have this collection of like 16 albums in a book of all this classical stuff. Mm -hmm. And I remember leafing through it as a little kid, and there's a picture of Mickey Mouse in it. Every album has this picture next to it, and there's Mickey Mouse, and of course I was fascinated. And I mean, they have The Sorcerer's Apprentice by oh, Paul Duke. Yeah. And my, my oldest brother spent a period where he was addicted to Beethoven's Egmont Overture. I mean, every day, the Egmont Overture. And he, he was a rock person. He was like, this is amazing. So of course I got into some of that stuff. So when you were in these bands, were you actually creating any music of your own? Yeah, me, me and a friend of mine wrote some songs. And we would do them, you know. But that was it, you know. And that was fine. And now, of course, I'm, I'm thanks to Mr. James Tristan Redding, who I believe you've had on this show, I've written a whole bunch of songs have you, has he been on the podcast? He, he had not himself been on the podcast, but our, our first episode with Charles McBee, we featured an unreleased song from James Tristan okay. Redding in the bonus content. Well, 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 I haven't written songs in years and years and years, and then James started the song Week, and I suddenly spat out like 10 songs in a couple of months, <laughs> and I haven't written anything since. I told James as my excuse, Trump killed my songwriting. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> when you stopped working with this guy, was that just like the band dispersed? Or? Oh, we just, we stopped. We got older, that's all. But after that, I mean, I worked with another guy. I know him online still. We got together a band that never got out of the basement, but we had a good sound, <laughs> you know. You, you sir, and your show is, is the most extended playing I've done. And, and as you probably know, when I was in a sketch comedy troupe, 
we did a lot of musical stuff. Let's work our way towards that now. So I met you in 1994, the first year of No Name's existence. We were not always the comedy variety format we are now. The bulk of the first six years of our existence, we were a sketch comedy troupe. When we first started, I didn't know of any sketch comedy troops in New York. Could not walk down the block without tripping over an improv troupe. But there was basically nobody doing sketch as far as I knew. We were performing at a place that no longer exists called the West End Gate over by Columbia University. And one evening, in our very small audience, that's one thing that's been consistent... (laughs) There, there was this this couple that we didn't know, which was stunning. There's somebody in the audience, and we've never met them before. Do you recall that evening? Oh, absolutely. My wife, now my ex-wife, we were in a sketch comedy troupe. She ran it. And she said, hey, there's another sketch comedy troupe that also plays the West End Gate. Let's go check them out. Also, because she is not like me, I'm a normal human being. That means if I did go to your show, which I might have done, When the show was over, I'd have gone home. But she's like, oh, I have to go talk shop with the guy who runs the other sketch comedy (laughs) troupe. So she got to know you, and therefore I got to know you. you So it wasn't a matter of making friends with the competition and then killing us off. No, no, that came later when I got to know you better. Then I decided that was That makes sense. By the way, one time we were eating at the West, because you were sketch comedy troupe, we were sketch comedy troupe. We sat down to eat, and uh, the waitress said, I got to ask, are you guys sketch or improv? Wife said, sketch. And she said, okay, I got to ask you because improvs eat free. (laughs) To this day, I'm still. So so basically, basically you waited until it was a different server and then knew the right answer. Yes, exactly. (laughs) When we met you and we were the no name players actually at that point, and you guys were riot acts. First thing I ever saw you do was the um, sketch. You were like an acting group. It was an acting class. An acting class, yeah, and you played the teacher. Yes, that was the first thing I ever saw you guys do. So at that point, you had pretty much just begun at that point. Yeah, I was pretty new at it, yeah. Um, How did you get roped into this lifestyle? I told you. She told me. You have to do some acting. Uh, (laughs) Ah, so you didn't actually have a say in the matter? Uh, No, none at all, of course. My girlfriend says I have that, to be in the sketch and we, uh, That's group. right. That is correct. Yeah. yeah that was about it. How long had you guys... I know you lived oh, in the well, area. How uh, long had you been in... Uh, probably a couple of years. How long? You know, probably a couple of years. I don't, I don't really remember. But if you remember, I mean, one of the first things I did in the sketch comedy troupe was I played a Jewish mother. I don't remember <laughs> you don't, that. How do you forget that? <laughs> I, I, I'm a little amazed that, that I forgot that. With babushka yes, on my head. I didn't even shave the beard. <laughs> that, that sounds somehow perfect. It was a sketch written by a guy named Steve Baumfeld, who originally played the Jewish mother and did the best Jewish mother of any guy of all time. He was hysterical. So I couldn't really live up to that. It was like a newlywed game show where uh-huh. the, ki- the Jewish sons try to predict the answers of their Jewish mothers to questions. And that was, that was the sketch. And, and I was this old lady, oh, such knees I've got. Oh, my God, such a person shouldn't have such knees. I'm having a coronary, right? And, this, and I would do this. Well, you know, I'm sure the, the beard added a little bit I of character. Lo- I, 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 just, I was really glad I didn't shave the beard for it. It just, it just made it just that more. <laughs> well, that more makes you more identifiable ridiculous. and, you know, there were witnesses. Yes. 
But uh, well, and and you. Uh, so how, how did you like that first experience? I, I really enjoyed it, especially. I mean, uh, my, Francesca, that was my wife, was um, she. She's actually a better songwriter than me, maybe, even though she doesn't pay, play anything at all. But she would like write tunes and words and just sing the tunes to me, and I would figure out what would go with them. You guys did a lot of, of musical sketches. Yeah, we did a lot of musical sketches, but I mean, she would credit me as a co-writer, but really she was the writer. But you know, since she would like sing at me agapella and I'd go with CF and figure out she she decided that maybe 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 put some incidental music to connect the parts you know oh, okay. and you know but, that's, that's but, pretty cool. but she actually wrote all the, almost all the melodies I, I do remember there were, there were some sketches where where you pre-programmed a, yeah. a whole shitload of I, I yeah I would basically use an old four track machine and just <laughs> and I really enjoyed doing that actually it's on a, to play it back through the keyboard so, <laughs> So, uh, so we, uh, I have to say, we, for, for the longest time, as far as I knew, you know, we met you guys, and then we, we, we I forget how we encountered uh, some friends, I guess it was through Paul Singleton. Probably. Uh, the, a friend of yours that wound up being a friend of mine later yes. on, who was part of a, a sketch group. Uh, initially called King Lear, L E E R, yes, and then Aunt um, and then changed their name to Aunt Slammy. Uh, to this day, I have no explanation for why they were called Aunt Slammy. I, I confess, my lowbrow inner self uh, and outer self, come to think of it, uh, was was more fond of King Lear, okay. L E E R. But um, but no, they were amazing. They were yeah. wonderful. And I swear to you, for for a few years, the three of us were the only sketch comedy groups I that so. I knew of. Maybe did you guys have the uh, the same experience we did? We 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 would frequently be negotiating to do a, a show somewhere, and no one understood when we told them we were doing sketch it comedy. Confused. So so what? So you're you're like uh, so you like improv? No, it's not improv. It's sketch. It's like scripted written material. Oh, so it's stand up. No, it's not stand up. Uh, actually, what worked as an explanation was like Saturday Night Live, and they you go, know what? Oh, you know, <laughs> you know what? I used to say like Saturday Night Live, SCTV, Living Color, and I still got those same questions. So I guess I was dealing with more stupid club owners than you were, um, which is a scary thought. Um, and I can say that without fear of recrimination because no club's going to book us anyway. Um, but anyway, so I. Uh, what happened with that group? Which one? Uh, Riot Act. They, they, they just, you know, over time, things kind of dissipate. It was tired, like, tired of not making any money? Tired of not making any money. People start doing other things. I mean, we're still, I mean, you know, one person in it dropped out and there was nobody really to replace them and stuff like that. But, you know, I, but I enjoyed that, you know, and I'm still in touch did, with Did you really. miss it? Yeah, I, I, I miss doing something. Mm-hmm. Might be a better way to put it. Understood. You know? <laughs> Definitely understood. Yeah. But um, that. Do you recall when you you stopped doing that? You know what probably happened is one of our members, Alex Harper, mm-hmm. and you know Alex. Yes. Alex got involved with another group called the Plays the Thing, uh, which was a, a, an actual theater company, mm-hmm. and we wound up getting dragged into Plays the Thing. <laughs> so that kind of maybe we just had too much else to do. 
So, you know? so now you're doing legitimate theater. Yeah, now we're doing legitimate theater. How uh, the hell did that happen? Or because Francesca, of course, is somebody who does things as opposed to me. She starts <laughs> her own theater companies. We were called it Great Egress, and we did a few of our own plays and wound up for a while being the artistic directors of Plays the Thing after the artistic director, who was a real one as opposed to me, left. <laughs> Okay, okay. And yeah. I, it's funny because I, I realized we did a couple of plays together that I, I had not realized were officially under the umbrella of, of uh, plays the thing, the, the Richard Nathan plays. Uh, I think they were. The Richard Nathan plays were plays the thing, and you were in the Cherry Orchard I, also. I, for, for folks who are listening, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm pretending people are listening. But for folks who are listening, uh, explain a little bit about the Richard Nathan oh. plays. I think they were lovely. Richard Nathan did these wonderful, and I really, they they really good, especially when we did um, parodies of Shakespeare, <clears throat> like they were done by old-style old comedians. So we did something called, uh, the play is named A Night in Elsinore, and it is Hamlet done as though it were a Marx Brothers vehicle, with Groucho as Hamlet, Chico as Horatio, and Harpo as the ghost of Hamlet's father, and cameos by the Three Stooges and Laurel and Hardy, and Bob Hope, and I played Harpo in this particular thing, and Mr. Eric played Larry of the Three Stooges. Your greatest role, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that ties into a, a story I love to tell uh, about how I came to be involved with that, and I didn't know you guys. I don't know if I knew you were in that play, but I had uh, been asked to MC a fundraiser, a benefit for the National Jobs for All Coalition. And I, I have no idea what happened to them, if they still exist. Do you know if they still exist? I don't know. I know the person who was heavily involved. They might know. Oh, okay. <coughs> well, no, the reason I ask is, is like, they, I know they, were, they were raising uh, money for the, the cause, which was Jobs for All, and they believe there should be jobs for all. And... Uh, <laughs> It was cleverly coded in, in, in that. But they, you know, I, 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 I accepted the gig and, you know, I looked at some of the, uh, you know, some of the pamphlets and, and stuff they were putting out. And they kept talking about how, you know, passionately about how there should be jobs for all. They didn't in any of the things I read offer any substantive ways that might be achieved. It's always the but, hard part. Uh, but they didn't ask for money from me, so uh, I was happy to MC that, and and I had a particularly good night, um, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. And after the show, this tall, uh, white-haired, heavily bearded gentleman comes up to me and said, uh, he said some nice things. He was congratulatory. He introduced himself. He said, uh, I really enjoyed your work tonight, and I, um, I. Uh, I am currently uh, casting a show I'm directing that is Shakespeare as presented by, uh, as written for classic comedy characters such as the Marx Brothers and the Three Stooges. And, and, and I got excited because I loved the Marx Brothers. And, uh, and I was like, oh, I do a pretty good Groucho. And I said, well, we already have our Groucho cast, but uh, we have um, most of those things cast. And the Three Stooges... We, we have our, our Mo and we have our Curly, but I've had trouble um, casting the part of Larry. And as I was watching you tonight, uh, it occurred to me that you have a real 
Larry Fine quality about you. And I, you know, I, I, and I told him, you know, we became great friends. And I told him later on, my initial feeling was, can you tell me what it is so I don't do that anymore? Um, I was not a fan of the Three Stooges, actually. Um, you know, I mean, I watched them as a kid, but I really didn't much like them. And, and I, I'm glad I accepted the the offer because I, I worked with people who were stooge geeks and they trained me, they gave me videotapes and to study and various things and, and uh they were they were really, really good and I just wanted to hold up my hand. But that was you were an amazing harpo in that. And uh I wish there were more of a cause for getting you out there doing harpo again. Yeah. Um but anyway it's a, Everybody a, wants me to do Chico now. <laughs> Excuse me, and what, what are you going to be doing? Well, I, I mentioned this. We, we, I'm hoping to do a, a segment of a film. Noah Diamond is doing a Marx Brothers music thing, and he asked me if I would make something of with a Chico. Like from an existing Chico song? No, no, no. Well, I'm going to play and talk a little, and he doesn't know. He left it up to me. He said, maybe you can do it. He told me that I played a really good Chico piano. So, uh, I, I, well, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen for, you do, yeah. you do that even with the yeah. shooting of the note. Yeah. So uh, he said, he said, so he asked me if I could, he said, maybe a tutorial. I don't think I'm going to do a tutorial because, you know, all you got to do is go foomp and shoot the keys. That's it. It's not like this. You can, you can tutorial Chico in like 10 seconds. <laughs> he so, does this. <laughs> so, so riot act has come to an end. You're now, uh, working with these theater companies. Yes. Are, are, are you doing any music at this point? Well, yeah, you know, oh, good question. Now, yeah, you know, you've been making me plumb my memory. I know I did some music with Plays the Thing, but I'm trying to remember what music, you know, because so it was they, memorable. They weren't well. They weren't primarily a musical company, but you know, right. Henry was there. Uh, Henry William Elkers was our uh, stage manager. He directed. He did everything. And, and he is the gentleman who told me I had a Larry Fine quality. He's the gentleman who told you I had a Larry Fine quality. And he also played every instrument under the sun. So, and later on became part of our, our no-name house band. Yes, and, he did. And, uh, known simply as Cowbell Man. Yes. And, uh, but, you know, but <clears throat> I think he was glad I was there because when music was needed, somebody else could help. You know, so mm -hmm. we, I know we did some stuff. We did something called Girls Who Wear Glasses, which was a Dorothy Parker tribute, mm -hmm. and me and Henry were the band. Uh, the director, Michael Dale, said he wanted the band to be guys because the actresses were all girls, and you want to make it clear that, you know, there are good guys because there's a lot of, you know, and these, these are the good guys that are in the band, you know. So we did that, and we, we did a stint as the Black and Blues Band. Uh, you know, and so we we did stuff. I remember one show we did. And I wish I remember what these shows were. Might have been old time radio. We did too. Well, that was a lot of that was under the auspices of plays the thing. Mm -hmm. But Henry was amazing. I remember him showing up with a washtub base. Of course he did. Of course he did. And right. I didn't even tell me. I was like, you you play, and he explained to me how to play it. And he always said this when it came to stuff. He said. It's a great visual. <laughs> so <laughs> well, that, that's true. Hen Henry was really good at seeing, seeing and hearing the whole well, picture. In that one, I, he, I know when we first asked him to play cowbell with us, he said, I, "I asked him, do you have a cowbell?" Because that was a stupid question for me to ask someone like Henry. I asked him. Uh, he said, "Sure. What kind do you want?" I think he had seven of them. Yeah. 
Well, he oh. also, well, for the, the, the Dorothy Parker thing, if I'm angry, he had a double neck guitar. And t- which was not necessary at all, but it was a great visual. Right. So, you know, and I remember with that one we did, I don't remember what else we played. I do, I, we played a, a heavy rock version of Glenn Miller's In the Mood. And to accompany the Dorothy Parker. Yes, I think it, I might be mixing up shows, but we definitely did that with something. Uh, and I remember at the end he would hit the um, the axe that bends the notes and go, and then and then just bust out laughing, just put his head down because he couldn't do that with a straight face. And we also did a thing by the Doors, which you've almost certainly never heard. It's the Doors. Without Jim Morrison, after he died, mm. a song called I Am Horny, I Am Stoned, which um, Henry wanted to do entirely because he knew how to play the harmonica for it. So we <laughs> let him blow the uh, we had him blow the blues harp for that. Sure, why not? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so, all right, so you're doing a little music there, but uh, did you miss playing music live? Probably a little bit. But, you know, I've always been, you know what I'm like. I'm useless to myself and humanity. You know, I'm pretty much perfectly happy sitting here playing the piano and annoying the neighbors, you know. so And, and Lord knows you've done that. Uh, many times, years. yes. But so, well, uh, let, let, let's fast forward now. We we hadn't worked together really for a while because I wasn't that heavily involved in, in those theater companies or whatever, but we had stayed in touch and... You know, would occasionally come to each other's shows when shows were going on, but uh, when when No Name moved to Otto Shrunken Head, I believe that was two thousand nine. It's it's a wonderful tiki bar uh, with just a lot of atmosphere and character. And in the back room, uh, we were invited to do our show there. Um, we were looking for a new home. It seemed like a good fit. You know. Uh, and and we went back there, and they have a, a full house drum kit, and uh, some amps and and stuff, and you know perfect setup for for music. But we didn't not have a musical element, and uh, the first or second show there, a uh, buddy of mine, Mark Jones, a wonderful, really talented bass player, uh, came to me after the show and said, "We want to be your house band." And I said, "What?" <laughs> he said, you know, uh, my band, we, we want to be your house band. And, and, like, you understand, it's a free show. There, there's no money. He said, no, we want to be your house band. And like, no, but, like, really no money. Like, I'm a few months behind in my rent. Like, so I can't even buy a drink here. Uh, so I can't give you car fare or anything. No, no, if you make money, we'll make money. So he brought... Always one of his, his buddies and sometimes uh, more from, from a band he was working out with. Um, it was all, almost always, it was at least him and a keyboardist named Harold Smith. And uh, they were just amazing. And yes, all of a sudden we've got this new element to the show. Uh, and Harold Smith, the late Harold Smith, seriously, you know, raised a glass in his honor. Uh, he was great because... It, he was a keyboardist. What I found out later on is that he was actually he played many instruments. Bass was his first instrument. Mark was so badass that when he played with him, in deference to him, he would play another instrument. And Harold played with everybody. Uh, like, the first thing I, I found out is like he had played with Sam and Dave. And like, 
Harold was one of those guys. You just, after the show, you buy a beer, put it in front of him, and he just didn't listen. One of those guys. Um, and they were great, and they added a new element to the show, and they're playing the acts on and off. And uh, a few years, uh, I mean, like a, about a year or so into that, Mark was getting ready to go on a long tour, and Harold had some medical issues. He was going to have an operation or two, and uh, we were going to be without them for the summer. And I'm like, well, we, we don't want to stop having music. So I reached out to you at that point. Um, and Alex D'Souza, who's been a past guest on the podcast, wonderful drummer, among many other talents, um, had already started playing with Mark and Harold. Uh, and I spoke to you. Do you, do you remember the, those discussions? Uh, yes. I don't know. Do I remember them? Well, I remember them existing, <laughs> but, you know. But, you know, the idea was that, that uh, Alex and, and you were going yes. to hold it down for the for, summer, for, hence, for just summer, hence we were named we were the summer back. replacement. You know, and, uh, and I kind of like that still. I mean, we have, we've done much bigger bands, but there's always a fondness of just me and Alex. I, I just always kind of, something about that was just a little special to me. Well, yeah. you know, you guys are both very good musicians, and you're both very playful, yeah. and that that comes across. Yes. Well, you know, Alex is such a pleasant person to play with. She is. So Indeed. yeah, but, but 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 we were supposed to be there for just the summer, but they decided to abandon you. So <laughs> <laughs> so we were stuck. <laughs> well, well, Mark Mark wound up uh, being on tour and and and. and otherwise engaged for a really long time and Harold had more health issues. Yeah, I and, know, I know. Uh, along the way, um, we acquired Seth Sugarfingers Foster. Yeah, he came in later. He was here. Yeah. He came here to, to audition, really. Yeah, we, really we, by the way, just, just in case we, we don't mention this in the intro when, when we're recording the intro for this, we are actually at Carl's house at the, the Cat Palace. Yes, we are. It's the amazing Cat Palace. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, but Seth was here, and I, of course, Seth is such a good musician. And in fact, I stage whispered. I remember he was here in the audition, and I, I whispered to Alex. I mean, loud enough for Seth to hear. It was a clear sense. Said, "This guy's really good. <laughs> I think he's better than we are. He's gonna make me look bad. I don't know <laughs> if we want him." <laughs> He started laughing. No, here's what I remember about that. We we uh, you know he came up to to play with you guys just to see if everyone felt comfortable yeah. with everybody. And I what I remember is while he's tuning his guitar, he starts to play uh, Gershwin "Summertime." Yeah. And spontaneously, Alex just started to sing with that beautiful voice she has. Uh, Along and all of a sudden it was just like, all right, this is a new band. It's just Alex and, and Seth, and we'll just sit yeah. and listen to them yes. all day. <laughs> you guys obviously don't need me. <laughs> 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 and uh, but no, before long we added the wonderful Dr. Sandman, Fernando yeah. Morales Gonzalez mm -hmm. on bass, and uh, all of a sudden we, we, we had a little band. And a few others over the years. We had Jordan, of course, and we had Miles. Jordan Oakland and Miles Blue Spruce, yeah. both Blue Spruce, both of whom have contributed uh, some music to our 
our podcast episodes uh, bonus content, okay. and all of whom you should seek out and listen to more of their music. And yeah, James Tristan Redding, that's how James. we met him. Uh, more recently, Courtney Hill. Uh, good Lord, we, we I, I know it, at the 20th anniversary show uh, at the United Palace, we, we ballooned to, I think it was like 14 or 15 pieces. I actually think you're thinking of the Bell House. Where we had a fifteen-piece band. Well, I know we had. Did we have two or three backing singers on that one? I know we had a. Uh, we, we had, had a five singers. Section. We had five singers. We had five horns, and we had the band. That was that was. <laughs> it was uh, completely insane, and it was reviewed. <laughs> and the the if I'm quoting it correctly, it said, "It started like any other comedy show." With a set by a fifteen-piece soul cover band, <laughs> and the only one they mentioned by name was, was Seth Sugarfingers, probably because his name was Sugarfingers. Yeah, actually, I don't think they even kind of I don't think they even put his name yeah. there by a man named Sugarfingers. Yes. I think it was. But yeah, that was uh, that was Liam McEnany's uh, yes. album release party. We we were invited to, and that was our first outside and paid gig, actually. Um, yes, we expanded beyond the borders of, yes. of Otto's shrunken head. Uh, well, let me ask you this. How, how did you, you know, that, that obviously wound up being a little bit more than just a, a summer diversion uh, for you. Do, do you enjoy it? Well, yeah. I enjoy it when you're not there. <laughs> and I'm always there. So yeah, you're and you're always there, so that's, that's a problem. Of course, I enjoy <laughs> it. I do it. I'm obviously, it's obviously not paying all the bills. Yeah. <laughs> not, not quite all not of quite them. Not quite all of them, no. But I know along the way, you, you, you were in another band too, right? Such as oh, us? Such as Us, yeah. And, um, but t- talk a little bit about that. When, well, when did that come into being? Uh, that came into being, how did that come into being? I don't even know. Uh, you know, a friend of mine named Chris, Chris uh, Burns, um, he's a guitarist and he's a songwriter, and I was in another band. Uh, with um, a, a, and uh, Chris kind of wandered in, and he, he just and we wound up getting along. So he started a band with uh, Missy Cannell, who has played with a band called the Heaters, out on the West Coast, and they've done they did a bunch back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that they warmed up for various people like the Talking Heads, and I got got signed to a contract and actually made a little noise. And right. Missy is really good. So with her and Chris being the principal writers, because they both can write songs, they decided, hey, you idiot, we need a keyboard. <laughs> so the idiot went in, and it's me and her, the three of us, Gina Tlomsa, who plays everything and can sing every harmony in the universe without trying. <laughs> uh, um, you can tell I'm a little jealous of Gina. She's, she's, she's an amazing musician. And, yeah, so we've been doing that, and we are while we have not done anything in a long time, we are technically still a band. Oh, and we are talking good. about... And you have music out there, yeah, don't you? We have music out there. We have uh, we released um, three CDs, but they're... I mean, they, the, the songs overlap. It's not three CDs of... You know, it's like... They, they, they're the same songs on a lot of the CDs. Uh, one is called... Reissues and repackaging. Exactly. One is called Up Against the Bull. Um, and the cover is us uh, standing at the uh, Wall Street Bowl because, ah. you know, we're 
some of the songs that get rather political. <laughs> I, say, well, I was, was going to ask you <laughs> just to describe the kind of music you guys will play. Yeah, well, we do a lot of politics, not all of it, but, you know, because they are politically passionate people with connections to the New York City folk community. Mm-hmm. Uh, the songs are often very political. And I don't know exactly when, but um, I know we've been in touch with email. We're supposed to be doing a show maybe in January at the People's Voice Cafe. And we haven't done anything oh, okay. together in a long time. But, you know, we're going to get together and probably do that, you know, do some of the old songs. Very cool. And, and, how, and how many members do you have presently? That, that was pretty sizable. Right, now, point, well, right it? now it's four people, uh-huh. okay? And um, just four. We've had other people. Joni Note used to be in it. I miss her. If she's listening to this, which she won't be. I miss you, Joni. Um, and, uh, but, you know, but she, we were doing that. And... Um, you saw the show. We did the show at Patsy's Pizzeria, mm-hmm. and I mean that was kind of. I should cool. love that gig in general. Uh, well, we were. I mean, we were promote being promoted by Sid Bernstein, who is no longer in the world, being ninety three years old, and you know. But I mean, that was kind of wow. cool. I got to know Sid Bernstein, who. So he you know, did, earlier in his career, he discovered the Beatles, and later in his career, he discovered you. Exactly. That, that my friend, is a career arc. We weren't his favorite. He told me to go check out a busker in Central Park, who we thought was amazing. <laughs> I loved Sid because he had all this success with the Beatles and 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 the, the Rascals and all these other people, and he'd be going to Central Park watching the Buskers because that's what he loved how to do. You, how did you become associated? Well, with we him? had a manager, uh, Maureen, and Maureen knew him. Okay. Uh, but one of my favorite thing, we had a gig uh, in Asbury Park at the Saint, uh, oh, wow. and uh, warming up for us was a band called License to Chill. And their drummer was Vinny Lopez, Vinny Mad Dog Lopez, who was Springsteen's first yeah, drummer yeah. and is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as part of the East Street Band. Yeah, and an he original had, member, right? Yeah, an original member. Um, in fact, uh, when they got that, when they were inducted in the Hall of Fame, Springsteen gave the speech. And the first thing he said was, in the beginning, there was Vinny Mad Dog Lopez. <laughs> so... But but he warmed up for us because he wanted to. He was obviously the bigger act. Like he, I think he, you know, but but he, so we played a gig with him, um, and I drove Sid home from the Saint in Asbury because somebody had to drive him home, and he was telling me these wonderful stories in the car about the Rascals and stuff. And, and, and so he he promoted them as well. Yes, he promoted the Rascals. In fact, he said he said you know the Beatles. I didn't really make much money off the Beatles because nobody knew who I was. So they don't pay if they don't know who you are. But with the Rascals, everybody knew who I was. <laughs> they had 11 hits. Did you know that? The Rascals, 11. That's a lot of hits. I got six kids. The Rascals put every one of them through college. Oh, wow. So, so <laughs> Was he around to see when they, they did that reunion thing for Broadway? I don't know, actually. I, a great I, show, I, yeah, but he way. told me this whole story about recording Groovin'. Uh, can I tell you the story here? Yeah, yeah, okay. He said they were sitting there. He said, he goes in, he goes into the studio, and Murray the K's there, and they're arguing. You know, Felix Cavallari, they're arguing. And he, he says, because they always argued. And Murray the, K, Murray the K said to me, you know, Sid, I wish they'd stop arguing. I'm listening to this song. Groovin' was the song. I think it's a hit, but I want them to stop arguing so they can finish the song. <laughs> so I, I listened to it. And I said, you know what? This is good. I think this is a hit, too. When I was a kid, my mother used to sew patches on my underwear. 
And it didn't matter because nobody sees your underwear. So I had a red patch and a blue patch, a yellow patch, green patch. It looked ridiculous. And even though I had money, I always wore them because my mother sold them for me. And it was a gift of love. So I always had this. And I had a big fat body. So I said, I know what to do. And I walked out of the room and I pulled down my pants. And I went walking into the studio, dancing around with this underwear, with the red patch and the blue patch and the red patch. And that stopped the argument. <laughs> they all laughed at me like I was the most ridiculous man in the world, which I was. They stopped arguing. Everybody felt better. They sat down and they finished the song and it was the biggest hit they ever had. <laughs> Well, and music history was made. I was, I was, I had him with me in the car driving to home, listening to this, and now he needs me just eating this up. You know? Oh yeah, that, that, that must have been that must have been like like I said with Hal, just put a beer in front of him yeah. and let yeah. and just sit and listen. It sounded like it was it kind was, of an equivalent was, thing. When I knew him, he was just such a sweet man, and I really loved the fact that he had all the success, and he just loved music. Like I said, he'd go watch Buskers in the Park. He did say to me, you know, I'm, I'm old. I wonder if maybe I got one more home run in me before mm. I die. You know, we weren't the home run. <laughs> yet. 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 Okay. <laughs> but uh, since you're, you're bringing up Sid Bernstein and, 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 and rock and roll stories and history, uh, you, you, you rubbed elbows at some point across paths with, with some other folks, right? I, I know at least you've got a Pete Seeger story. I am. I have a Pete Seeger story. Yeah, I was with Pete Seeger, which sounds great, doesn't it? Now, yeah, but we played a concert um, with him, such as us, uh, and it was 9-11-2011. It was the 10th anniversary concert of the attack. Um, it was called Love Wins. It was presided over by, oh man, if I don't remember his name, I'm not for you, Lyndon Harris. Reverend Lyndon Harris, who was the priest at Ground Zero and ran the, um, the relief efforts out of St. Paul's in, in the, uh, you know, the financial district. So he ran this concert called Love Wins, and Pete was, of course, the headline. And yes, I got to talk to Pete. And uh, we did, um, after the show, got on stage, and we sang We Shall Overcome. I got some great, I have a picture of that. And me singing We Shall Overcome with Pete Seeger is just, oh, you know, one of the best things that ever happened, you know? <laughs> that is very cool. Yeah, yeah. That's very cool. Well, so, we, yeah, we did that. But, you know, so, but, you know, that's, I've rubbed out. Yes, I met, I've met Weird Al, but that's, that's okay. <laughs> no, I got to hear this. It's not really a big story. <laughs> Meeting Weird Al, is that, that, Knowing you as I do, I, I, that seems like it's, it must have been a, a monumental moment. Well, it was kind of cool. We just shook hands and said, how you doing? Uh, oh, like okay. your stuff, you know. But no, a, a friend of mine. Isn't that like y'all were jamming together at Electric uh, Ladyland? A, a friend of mine I've done some music with a long, long time ago. I knew him in high school. Stuart Hirsch, he knows far more celebrities than I've ever known in my life. It's kind of his thing. He's worked for radio stations and stuff like that. And uh, he was um, Bobby Pickett's manager for like the last 20, 25 years of Bobby's. Bobby Boris Pickett. Bobby Boris Pickett, the monster mash. And I mean, I, and uh, so he knows all these people. And we went to see Weird Al at the bottom line, I think it was. And I went backstage with Stuart to, to meet Weird Al backstage after the show, <laughs> which was actually 
<laughs> Terrific. So, so you, you're just a connected guy. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> but but that right there is it, it's kind of a, an eclectic group. Pete Seeger, E Street Band drummer, and, and Weird Al. There you go, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and a connection to the Beatles and, and the Rascals. And and the the connect what connects them all, of course, is Weird Al because he's probably done parodies of every one of those Actually, songs. You know, he's and, way and if he hasn't, I don't know why Weird Al hasn't done a parody of Where Have All the Flowers Gone. It's just begging for it. <laughs> I don't know if it's begging for it, but yeah, it does seem like it seemed like one that should have happened. So, in looking back at everything, was there ever any serious attempt to to pursue any performing avenue as as like a career, or 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 if not as a career, to to keep it. A, a, an active part in your life. Oh, you're... absolutely. One, one reason, I'm not going to tell you what I did for a living for 25 years to pay the bills because it's the most boring job in the history of the world. Well, then you have to tell you know, it was, you No, it was just clerical crap. Okay. You know, I did computer stuff. and so, But the reason I kept it and, and did not even look for another job was, yes, it paid pretty well. But more than that, it's that I, my hours were 8.30 to 4.30. I had plenty of downtime at work to do stuff, mainly on the computer, and I knew I'd be going home at night to do stuff. You know, uh, that's one reason. I mean, one reason I I actually did work in advertising for five years as a proofreader and considered becoming a writer. And one reason I didn't is because I knew that the writers, this is what they did. This is what they were. Their lives were dedicated to writing ads. You know, all day, all night, staying yeah. in the office till 10 o'clock. And I said, you know, this isn't a bad job. I don't want to do this with my life, you know. Uh, so I just actually did not pursue that as a writer, although I thought of it. I took a, I took a course, in fact, in copywriting. But, um, but I did actually keep a job that was totally predictable for the purpose of being able to play music and act and do other stuff that I actually like to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, but that's, that's cool because, you know, part of our, you know, our stated uh, goal with this podcast is to, you know, uh, let people meet some of the folks who, who come through our doors, but also to, to have a focus on, on the experience of being an artist Oh, yeah, in fact, New York City. In fact, I remember at my job, somebody who worked in the front office, he comes walking into me with these sheets of paper, sheet music, right? And he says, ah, uh, this came out of the printer. I'm pretty much sure it's yours. I won't tell the boss. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> he walked out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> did, did you have any close calls? No. Oh, <laughs> oh, so you really did have the ideal job. Paid well, uh, gets you out at 4.30, my own, and you can do shit while you're there. And I was my own planet, basically. I don't want to, I mean, I knew how to use the computer, and other people did not. So. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. So, so uh, coming out of pandemic time, obviously, when, when we are back to doing our regular shows, which I'm hoping will finally get started again this fall, um, aside from being the ostensible 
reprehensible and indefensible music director of the summer replacements. Uh, you're going to be working with uh, such as us. Yes. Um, anything else on on in in the works or anything that you would like to do? Or well, if James is listening to this, I would like to start songwriting again. If I just happen to have a little bit of drive, like a normal human being, uh, that would be nice. I would like to do that. Um, you know, uh, I'm still involved as a company called Instant Shakespeare, run by the amazing Paul Sugarman. And uh, Instant Shakespeare, we do readings of Shakespeare plays. Uh, We've done a lot of Zoom, but now we're back to on our feet in person uh, in libraries around the city. And Paul basically does every single Shakespeare play every single year and a few others. Like he might do Dr. Faustus by Marlowe and throw that in too. And I, I usually do do some of those. And I love doing that because it's called Instant Shakespeare because there's no rehearsal at all. Huh. We just go, okay, you, you're assigned a part, you get up and you got the script and whammo, bammo, you're Macbeth, you know. Well, you know, that, that, that seems to, to kind of work with your general aesthetic and approach. It like, does. Like, hey, you want me to do this? Sure, I'll do it. Give me the script. Yes, well, Paul, that's correct. That's how you should. That's art, man. But yeah, Paul, yeah, yeah. But, but Paul... Uh, he, he publishes editions of Shakespeare that have almost no editing from the original editions. And it, in his opinion, the weird things in the original editions are because they were for actors. Mm-hmm. So words are capitalized that shouldn't be capitalized because they're supposed to be emphasized. <laughs> that a comma doesn't belong there, no, but a pause does. Like it's, and you, if you read from these live, you will kind of find yourself saying things correctly because yeah, they, they, cool. they're made that way. So, you know, and my, my actual goal at this point, and this is a worthless goal, <laughs> is to um, be in at least a reading of every single William Shakespeare play. <laughs> oh, do you, do you have a count on how many you've done so far? Uh, about 20, 22, there's 30, 38. Yeah. So you, you're going to nudge instant Shakespeare to cast you in, yeah, in, in if, one? if they ask, no, I, I can always offer, you know. And yeah, but I, I would like to just say I did that, you know, because I mean, I've been, I've done Julius Caesar and, you know, in live productions, you know, in Twelfth Night, I've been Duke Orsino and Feste, the Duke and the Clown, right? In Midsummer, I've been, um, what's that, Thursdays? Not Thursdays. I don't believe it, man. Don't get old. Okay, I've been Theseus and Bottom, the Duke and the Clown. So <laughs> that is apparently my range, and there's nothing in between at all. Wait a hold on a second. You know what? You, you said range, and it occurred to me we haven't even spoken about your now fairly lengthy dancing career. Oh, God, I had forgotten about my fairly lengthy... <laughs> you, sir, are a renaissance man. Explain I, that. I, I, I have been skipping one year for the pandemic. I have been in the Nutcracker in Dutchess County, I think, for 16 years in a row since that has been, since that show has been its uh, inception. And um, I've been playing, um, what do you call it? Drosselmeyer, Herr Drosselmeyer, the godfather who brings the nutcracker and the best part of being in a ballet 
And being a professional ballet dancer, which technically that makes me, is that I don't dance at all. So, and I can say I'm a professional ballet dancer. The part is basically acting, it has movement, and it has some stupid movement. So, of course, that's what I do. I do a little, a little bit of very simple actual dancing. <laughs> and other than that, um, I actually, there is one scene where um, I'm supposed to do a dance that's ridiculous. And John Cleese is my inspiration. So. <laughs> what, 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 what kind of direction did they give you? None. Oh, so. Everybody in the place, I mean, most of them are young because it's a school, but some of them are, but everybody gets direction. The direction, the director lets me do, I mean, anything I want to do. She, I mean, wow, that's not dangerous. You know, she, she's even said every, every year you do something different. It's great. You know, How long did they know you when this began? Not, not, I, mean, I don't know, but that's not, that's, you know, but they, 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 they've learned since, right? Uh, but yeah, but you know, but yeah, but the only thing they won't let me do, which I've actually said this, and I'm, only, I'm half kidding, is I said I wanted to do Herr Drosselmeyer as Harpo. I want to come out with the blonde wig and the horn and do the whole thing as Harpo Marx. And then come out from behind the clock as Groucho. Oh, dude. <laughs> and she won't let me do that. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there, there's a limit there, to you being able to do every, whatever you there, want to there, do. There is a limit, yes. And, and, and uh, this coming year, are you finally going to get that long sought after credit as choreographer? You know, that's true. I have asked her for a choreography credit since I, I do make up my own crap. <laughs> you know? Seems perfectly reasonable to me. And my, 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 my completely ridiculous dance, you know, which is I made that up because nobody can, you know, we can make this up. <laughs> exactly. Who else? And, and, and let's be honest, who else? And I remember explaining, I said, okay, first I get up, and I told her this, I said, and I do two far quars, then three left jock beads and two uh, right jock beads, and then some quagmires. And she looked at me and she said, you gave them names? <laughs> I said, well, of course. Of course you did. <laughs> There you go. That that seems about right. So, uh, so uh, I, I got to say too, it, it, going back to if you are serious about uh, wanting to do some more writing, let let's talk and get okay work it into the summer replacement stuff too. Because we were kind of uh, Courtney and I wrote a bunch of wrote a bunch of stuff. We yeah, to work some of that in. Good as well. stuff too. So, my well, thank you. Mm. That's very kind of yeah. you. Um, but yeah, so, so let's do it. So where, if people want to check out such as us or anything else you're doing, where can they, they check you out? Well, I think such as us.com is still there, uh, as a, as a website, you know, um, and, uh, me, you can't check me out at all. You want to <laughs> name is Carlo on, on Facebook. Yes. I, I don't know about the other social media, but it's not really Carlo. It's Carl. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, yeah, it, 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 really, really the whole reason for this particular exercise of having you as a guest so I can publicly bust you. Oh, uh, well, Be yeah. more effective if someone were listening. But well, I still. told you, my grandfather was Carlo. And he, by the way, did Americanize it when he was younger and went back to Carlo. <laughs> so, which wow. is interesting. Everybody, everybody in my family. His wife was buried as Mary and she was Maria, so. Oh, but he went back to Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> So I went the other way. 
Well, I can't, I can't wait till, till we're back at Otto's with you flinging insults behind my back. Well, that's, that's my goal. That's my purpose in the thing. You, you realize you're going to be totally fucked now well, by the fact that I can't see the, the facial expressions you're making It doesn't me. matter. You can hear the words. And yeah, they're they're just it. as I, insulting, I, you know? I, I, I can hear the facial expressions you'll be I'm giving I'm sorry. Me. Look, Eric, you know, one of my <laughs> missions in life is to keep you humble. <laughs> it's good for your soul. You should thank me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think that's a decent place to end. Thanks for spending some time with us, Carl. Really appreciate it. Carl Fortunato, the the one and only. Oh, wait, you know, one last thing. Uh-oh. I'm sorry, I have to ask you this. One, one of our running gags. Here it comes. In, in, in the show. This one's going to be a pip. I'm, I'm wondering if you, the way you say that, I'm, I'm, well, anyway, let's, let's <laughs> see if you're right. Um, one of our running gags through the years had been, uh, you know, all, all of the band members have some usually pretty bad nickname that I've, I've made them have to listen to. But the running gag with Carl is that his nickname changes from show to show. Every show he has a different nickname, except when we're theoretically doing a one-off like the show at the Bell House or, or other such places, uh, places that made the mistake of inviting us to do something outside of No Name. Uh, and uh, for that, we always use what was your original uh, nickname, Baby Freak. Call Baby Freak Fortunato. Explain to, to me uh, how Baby Freak came about. That, actually, that wasn't my idea. That actually when I was doing the filming of Richard Nixon when I was a kid. Uh, this film, to film this thing, uh, I stayed for a weekend in Darien, Connecticut in a house of hippies. This is a wonderful... You know, when are we talking, man? What? 1970. Oh, okay, so it's just slightly past the peak of hippie. Yeah, but but there were plenty left. Uh, yes, and there were, yes. And <laughs> I mean, Darien, and guessing. we were. I mean, this was a wonderful thing for a 12 year old. You know, I mean, they 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 told me that if I wanted some pot, it was on top of the china closet. You know, <laughs> they didn't care how old I was. You know, it was great. But anyway, the film. And, and your parents are just letting you be here for the weekend. Yeah, they am going away with some college kids. They didn't know, you know, what kind of. I mean, the, the, my baby brother was played by this little, this, this, the, the, the child of this couple, this hippie couple, who were not in the movie. They just brought the kid. And I remember one of them saying, I don't smoke too much pot. Just every chance I get. Wow. <laughs> so these were these people. And anyway, they filmed up there, and they filmed in this cabin. One, one of the scenes was filmed in this cabin. This guy had an outhouse outside of Darien. And I remember, I've never gotten over this. I walk in and there is this man. The music is playing. There's swirling colors on the wall from what used to be called a gorilla lamp. Um, and the, the, the records are stacked up six high so they keep dropping on the spindle. And this dude with this long hair and beard and no shoes rules this kingdom. And he, he decided he loved me. He was just so, you, you, you are young. But you are wise. I can see that you are wise. And I'm going to give you... A, I didn't mean to laugh at the notion of I you know. being wise. No, it's, it's funny. <laughs> I'm going to give you a book, and you have to read it, because books are for reading. He gave me a book by um, a phony Eastern mystic called Lob Song Rampa, called The Cave of the Ancients, who also wrote The Third Eye, telling me... But anyway, he, he said, said, you will read this book, Baby Freak. And he decided that my nickname would be Baby Freak. And you ever explain that to you? Uh, no. 
by I was he freak was a compliment and I right, was young. Right. I'm sure that's what it meant. You know, freak was a good thing to them and I was 12 years old and hanging with the hippies. So I was the baby freak. And and and, and did they impact on you? Uh, in what way? I mean, like I said, I never forgot this guy. Right. The, this right. weekend is one of the best weekends I ever had in my life. I mean, <laughs> sitting there listening to the fire sign theater in a house full of hippies with a dog and everybody smoking dope and me making a movie. I mean, you don't get And were you, were you partaking in the smoking? Uh, it was the first time I ever did. It did nothing. I was too young. It did absolutely nothing. But they did let me try it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, <laughs> it, 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 you know, I, I listened to you speak of your, your childhood adventures, and, and I swear it's just like the Wonder Years. <laughs> it's like a Tom Shalhoub routine. <laughs> or, or, or a Tommy Pryor story, or Tommy story Pryor growing story. up in, in Yorkville. <laughs> yes. uh, I, 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 I don't envision Tommy being called Baby Freak, although... <laughs> Although you get to know Tommy a little bit, you could see him like knowing someone and and maybe hanging out at the house. Um, anyway, <laughs> all right. So baby freak finally explained to the masses. Uh, Do I have a nickname today? Uh, oh, how uh, about Yellow Kid? Why not? Wait, wait, have I ever given you Nick uh, Ignat? I don't think you ever have. All right. You know what? No, well, today, you, you can't see it, but behind you I have on my wall a yellow kid calendar. And th- that such a thing do. exists is, you know. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, I'm guessing that I'm one of about three people who will hear this who knows with that explanation what the yellow kid is. Okay. Could you? A yellow kid was consi- is considered the first comic strip. RF Outcult, it started in 1896, I believe. You should check me on this. I think it's 96, not 98, and I think it's the New York world. And it was just incredibly successful when it came out. And it gave, it's the reason tabloids are called yellow journalism is because they ran the yellow kid comic strip. And that's why cheap is, and uh, it's been around ever since. It's it's a classic. You know, guys, I think I've learned something today. (laughs) Thank you so much, Carl Ignat Fortunato. (laughs) Great anguish, you man. Always fun. Thank you so much. You're right. Take care, sir. Well, all right. I enjoyed sitting down and talking with Carl in a circumstance that's something other than five minutes before the show and trying to find out if we're actually ready to do the show. I hope you enjoyed getting to know a little bit about Carl Fortunato. He's an interesting guy and his artistic path. I think it's kind of an interesting one. Thanks to Carl. Thanks to you guys for hanging around. Thank you to our producer, Gary Hardcastle. He makes everything we do sound better. And thank you guys for hanging out. I hope you'll be back. If you like what you hear, please let people know. Thanks to Astor House in beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin, for sponsoring us. Uh, Don't tell anyone, but after we finish the show, don't go away because we're not really finished. It's going to be finished, and then it's going to come back. We got some bonus content for you. So stick around and you'll find out what it is this week. So thanks. Until until the next time we meet, either here or in person, please take good care of yourselves. My name is Eric Vetter. Thank you for being here. I love you all.
all right, all right. So the show ended, right? And we're still here. And if you're hearing this, then you're still here. Thanks for sticking around. It's time for bonus content. Now, I honestly, as of this recording, not fully sure what today's bonus content is going to be. It might be an outtake from the conversation with Carl. But one thing I do know that we're going to have is we're going to have uh, a song from a band he plays with, Such As Us. So uh, sit back, relax, enjoy that. If, if you're a longtime fan of No Name, you finally get to hear Carl doing something other than all the old school R&B crap I asked them to play for our No Name shows, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. And we'll get to that in a second, but first, a word from our bonus content sponsor, the bookshop with a little something extra, Word Up Community Bookshop. Word Up Community Bookshop, located at 2113 Amsterdam Avenue. That's the corner of 165th Street and Amsterdam Avenue in Washington Heights. This is a wonderful place. It's a community-based place, and it is the bookshop with a little something extra. Uh, They have a great selection of new and used books, uh, not only in English, but in Spanish and many other languages as well. They also have merchandise from notebooks to T-shirts to tote bags to games, uh, all sorts of cool stuff there. It is largely volunteer-staffed, and uh, they also have programs for young people. Uh, There are artist events, uh, author events. There are writing workshops, so please check them out. Lots of good stuff there. They also have an online bookshop. Do check them up out at wordupbooks.com and uh, support independent bookshops. That's always a good thing. So whenever you're in Washington Heights, uptown New York City, be sure to drop into Word Up Community Bookshop. Cross the line Grabbing everything they could around them They cried, what's mine is mine After all the towns were looted They cursed the sky Because the sun and the stars were out of reach And the moon was no ally Tycoons. The labyrinth of where the bumps go has its myths galore. So who is gonna fight like Theseus and kill the Minotaur?
not those tycoons. As I indicated before, I'm not fully certain what you've just listened to, but I know it will be fun. I think you heard a song from Such As Us. But at any rate, thank you so much for choosing to join us and for sticking around afterwards. I assure you, if you hear someone screaming in the background, I had nothing to do with it. We are in New York City. Screaming happens. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric Vetter. Take care.